From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Alana Schreiber. On the show today, Lafayette Mayor President Monique Blanco Boulay, daughter of Louisiana's first female governor, Kathleen Blanco, discusses her first month in office and what she hopes to accomplish in her term. But first, Tomorrow, February 3rd, some of the best distance runners from around the country will gather in Orlando, Florida to compete in U.S. Marathon Olympic trials. A maximum of three top female and three top male finishers will punch their ticket to the 2024 Paris Olympics. Keir Sellert is a word crafter and New Orleans resident competing in this trial event, and she joins us now for more on her running journey leading up to this weekend. Keir, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's um, nice seeing you in person and even nicer <laughs> always having a fellow buddy in the park in the morning. Absolutely. I mean, Kier, I see you running around City Park all the time. So it is so nice to finally put a name to the face. And now you're here in the studio as your final stop before you head to Orlando for trials. But before we talk about this weekend, let's rewind. Tell me about your journey as a runner. Where did it all begin? Um, it began when I moved to Brooklyn the day after I graduated college. I was born and raised in New Jersey, but I didn't want to go back. Um, So I got a job in New York, moved to Brooklyn. And quite honestly, I was uh, working in a lab at the time and I didn't have the money to join a gym or do anything else. So um, as part of exploring my new neighborhood, I started to like run to Prospect Park and then, you know, run a little more in the park. So it just kind of became this morning activity and this time and space when I was in a new city, like figuring myself out, though I should asterisk and say that my mom ran marathons in the 80s prior to having me. And she also was a national champion in tennis. So I knew like the athletic, mm-hmm. there's some level of you knew genetic. It was yeah. <laughs> and I honestly, I had always grown up admiring her and I never felt that I could harness her toughness. Like I always felt if I just had like a drop of what she has, I'm good. Well, I'd love to hear about your first marathon. How did you decide you wanted to do this crazy 26.2 mile feat? And, you know, what were you thinking when you crossed the finish line that first time? Was it, oh, my God, this is amazing. One day I'm going to go to Olympic trials. Or was it more like this is painful and crazy and I'm never doing it again? Um, Somewhere in between, probably. <laughs> um, it. So I started running in summer of 2009. I did my first marathon, Philadelphia Marathon, 2009. So I think that was November. So about four months or so. Um, My background's in neuroscience. So it was always interesting to me, the brain body connection. And, you know, as I was getting into myself in my running, um, the mental component has always intrigued me. So I was running 30 minutes a day. That's really all I did. i I didn't even know there was a world of running, to be frank. Um, Mm. And I mean, obviously you see people in the park, but I didn't know what it meant. Um, So I just told myself that if I believed I could run a marathon, I could. And I mean, it really was, I kind of wanted to be my own experiment in in everything I've learned and believed in and put to practice. Um, Can I ask what your time was that first time, just so we know how how much progress you've made over your your time Um, running? I think there was some discrepancy between chip and clock, but I think it was around like 340 or so. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, so there's been at least an hour or maybe a little shy of an hour um, between then and now. That's crazy. (laughs) Well, I, I think there are a lot of runners out there, myself included, 
we're wondering how you get to that next level of running. How do you go from pretty good and consistent to this elite level? So when did you really take off as a runner, realize how competitive you could be and start to harness that? I think key to anything is enjoying it. Um, so by I think my fourth or fifth fourth marathon I think I was around the three hour mark um, so there was some natural progression and then by nature I guess of being in races I just started to meet people who were more involved in the running world um, and they kind of just like ushered me in um, mm. so I'd say I was getting pretty competitive for the time like around 2016 I was within range of the Olympic trials marathon qualifier then um, I've always not, I don't know that struggle is the word, but there's always been a line between for me that I feel like I've had to thread of not wanting my identity to only be a runner and not only finding self-worth in that. But I think at that time, that also translated to me not being serious enough or not trying enough mm. and passing that off of like, well, I don't want to be this type A runner. Mm -hmm. Um and so I missed the qualifier in 2016. I think it was around two minutes. But again, I know I didn't really try to get it, but I saw people who definitely deserved it. Um, I mean, I'm all for one success doesn't take away from another. Like, we're all better when we work together and make each other better. Um, but I saw, fr like, friends who, or one friend who had qualified, who worked for it, but I knew I should be there. And I just remember just this unsettled feeling of like you didn't put your full effort in mm. um I got super serious or I got a coach for the first time in 2021 like that's when I'd yeah. say I started to face myself and just like work push myself in a different way we're speaking with Keir Seller New Orleans resident competing at this weekend's U.S. Marathon Olympic Trials Okay, so let's talk about trials this weekend. How have you trained up to this point? Can you just share your weekly mileage, the kinds of runs that you do, cross-training, nutrition, all of it? Yeah. Um, well, I feel like I've been training for this for like 15 to 18 months now. <laughs> I mean, I qualified in June 2022, and I had some marathons in the meantime. So yeah, it, it just feels like a lot of training has gone into this and that's what I'm trying to remind myself of. Um, marathon training is hard and I think there's the natural inclination of runners to like want to hit everything on pace or want everything to go well and like to be tied to our splits. Um, but I think a lot of it too is just keeping yourself positive and like rolling with whatever the days bring you so I'm reminding myself of like all the good moments in there and trying not yeah. to get clouded that like last week at the track it was flooded so yeah. like you know <laughs> um, yeah I mean I run I've run every day since August 2009 so I'm not saying that a streak is advisable but it, that was part of like me carving out my own thing to myself and then something that I've added in May or June of last year is I've started to do a lot of strength um, with my friend Derek is DJ Fitness is his um, is his gym. And I think I, I think that's going to come to help me more this time. You know, we can always be out there grinding and running and and especially it's a privilege to get older. But I'm 36 now, you know, so I I think that component of strength, uh, yeah. I can just like feel that I'm bouncier when I'm not so tired from yeah. <laughs> the miles of marathon well, what training. Is your, what is your weekly mile mileage roughly? And when um, you talk about strength, what do you what do you mean? 
Yeah, um, I think around 80 or so mm. is what I've been lingering around, which compared to like some of the other distance runners, people do 100, yeah. 110, 120 miles per week. So there's three days that are like 45 minutes easy and that are the rest days. But then otherwise, there's like a Tuesday, either aerobic or track workout. Then there's normally a Thursday medium long run that could get up to 16 or so, like in the peak of marathon mm-hmm. training, then a Friday tempo and then a Sunday long run. Um, so for, it, it, for people who don't know, a tempo oh, run is your, your uh, faster run. Yes. Um, that's like trying to get within five uh, some seconds within mm-hmm. like what you could do in a race um five to 20 it's yeah. my estimation I go with 10 <laughs> yeah, usually okay, yeah. for um it, it's nice that the easy days are easy though and I appreciate that about mm-hmm. Jimmy's coaching and mindset like you just know that Monday Wednesday and Saturday like I don't really need to think about much um and I think that's also key with like having balance in your life like yeah. okay if I want to go to San Santa Fe happy hour on Friday because Santa Fe on Esplanade is my favorite spot um like I can and I I can enjoy myself well now for a question that I'm sure is on a lot of people's minds how do you train for marathons in a place as hot as New Orleans how do you deal with the heat how do you adjust your training to the weather especially in those long summer months you know, do you have an answer to that? I, I'm trying to figure that out. I mean, I think like in general, they call heat and humidity poor man's altitude. So yeah. it, like in general, I think it's it's when it's not, you know, in the middle of a hundred degree heat wave, because I don't fully know how to train in that. But I think like when it's warmer and humid in the rest of the year, you just really need to like go by feel and something I tell myself often is keep it honest so like what is your honest pace for the effort you don't need to be tied by your watch but if you know that you have to run 50 minutes hard like it's a lot about getting to know your body too um and and knowing that you know a tempo run in the summer is going to look very different from a tempo run in the winter and that's okay and but then I think like everyone we know running here when you see them go to races in like different climates or like fall then they do so well so maybe it's just about encouraging each other when we're out there in the summer all dying yeah like, um, we'll cheer each other on now yes exactly <laughs> well before we go uh, I want to hear about your goals for this weekend what time are you kind of hoping to get near what place maybe are you trying to come near And what's your plan for how you want to structure your race for the best possible outcome? What I always say is, like, this is them letting me in the sandbox. So there are people competing to be on the Olympic team. And they're like, okay, Kier, you can come in the sandbox. Like, you can play. Like, go in your little corner. (laughs) And I'm grateful. I mean, I'm really grateful for that opportunity. Um, You know, I've talked in the past two years about facing yourself and how it's the time that I want to do that. And I just want to represent that for all my friends and family and just like people in New Orleans, you know, like the people we see walking at Big Lake in the park every morning who like wave to you or Mm -hmm. um, just like, yeah, the people you see up Esplanade running to the park. The um, security guard at the sculpture garden. Yeah, like you, you like, you know, the people and I just I want to be able to represent what I talk about and what I say I represent. I mean, I'm going to have to see as the day comes. I'm hoping that the weather is a bit of an advantage just because we're used to, like, those Mm -hmm. temperatures. Um, You know, top 50 would be amazing, but I don't want to, like, have to hold myself to, like, that's the standard. So what I'm telling myself is run to 20, be relaxed as possible. Again, you never know what's going to happen, but get to 20, and that's when the racing starts. So I'll just be trying... um, 
not to capitalize on other people's suffering, but I'm hoping that I'll just <laughs> be able to like start catching people and like that and talking to myself will give me the momentum exactly. to bring me through like the best race marathons I've done I've been able to negative split and do that um so yeah I'm just hoping to run something to be proud of incredible yeah Keir Sellert is a New Orleanian competing at this weekend's U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials in Orlando thank you so much for being here thanks I'll see you in the park and good luck thanks <laughs> From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Alana Schreiber. In November, the city of Lafayette elected its first female mayor president. When Democrat-turned-Republican Monique Blanco-Boulay defeated Republican incumbent Josh Guillory in a runoff election. While Boulay boasts an impressive resume and is well-known as the daughter of Louisiana's first female governor, Kathleen Blanco, many were surprised by her victory, which was the first defeat of an incumbent in the mayor-president race in Lafayette since the 1990s. To learn more about her historic win and what she hopes to accomplish in office, Andrew Capps, local government reporter for Lafayette's nonprofit newsroom, The Current, sat down with the mayor-president for more. Let me just start with the obvious here. You just returned from Washington Mardi Gras, and as a new mayor, you will have a new governor and a new legislature to work with. How do you see those relationships playing out, and what will that mean for Lafayette? So, you know, being up in D.C. gave me the opportunity to really start some of those conversations. I think there's real potential. Um, I do see partnership with the new governor, particularly on I-49, um, and hoping in other areas as well. Um, I know one of his focuses is going to be criminal justice. We are working to pull our stakeholders together uh, here in Lafayette Parish in a way and identify best practices, things we do well, as well as identify uh, things that we need to do better. I'm hoping to create a level of support as they work through their priorities. Um, the legislators, they're all, we have a lot of new legislators, so they're all scrambling and everybody's trying to figure out what are the priorities. So we are scrambling on this end really um, to, help, to help define that so that we're all working in the same direction. Well, to that point, a lot of those new leaders are Republicans and you ran as a Republican, but you come from a pretty famous Democratic political family. Mm -hmm. Is it fair for them or, or anyone else to expect that you might govern like a Democrat? They don't, ironically. <laughs> there may be some people out there, but they don't. Um, I think that they are very open to relationships. I've worked professionally with many of them over the years. I had conversations with Congressman uh, Mike Johnson over the weekend. And, you know, um, I think everybody's kind of in a new position. So how those relationships build and, and pan out, I think, you know, and I worked well. I worked really well across the aisle as a Democrat and I, with Rose Republicans. So they know me. They know how I work. And I don't think, um, I think you're going to see something maybe a little bit unique. I didn't run uh, from one extreme or the other, and I'm not, because that's not who I am. I really do work on solid issues and, and really trying to solve problems, which they all have that objective. Well, to that end, you're four weeks into this job now, and you're, you're at a point where it's no longer just planning. So, uh, I mean, what do you see as your first order of business now that you're in office? 
So, Andrew, you know, if I can get to the first 100 days and have a great team together, that will be a major accomplishment. That is not an easy task. We are well on way of doing that. Um, and I know the media likes to have, you know, hard things. At the same time, we are rolling very quickly on, on um, getting an understanding of the foundation we're working from. Your replacing a, a fairly controversial predecessor, uh, and you focused in the campaign on his combative record with accountability and the media. So, mm -hmm. I mean, what exactly is your plan to restore transparency in local government? Um, so, in particular to public records requ requests, I will tell you, because I know that's a contentious issue. We are looking hard at the process that's in place and what needs to be in place. Um, that is a work in progress. Um, it is one of my priorities. It was not the hottest, believe it or not, fire. <laughs> um, but it is on the list um, of, and, and part of that will be, I was having a conversation with uh, Leslie Turk last night at the airport um, about pulling some reporters in to sit down with our legal team to talk about the other side of it. We're looking at it from multiple perspectives. I hear you. Beyond public records, so I'm curious, I mean, in terms of community involvement in the mm -hmm. local government, that was something that we didn't see a, a whole, whole lot of. Yeah. What role does that play in transparency here in your mind? It, it, it you know, that is one of my, um, one of the tools I've used historically is public input and stepping into into even controversial issues in public. And I think, you know, we've done that, um, or we're in the process of doing that. We've started some, some uh, with, like in law enforcement, uh, Councilman Boudreau called a meeting of the African-American elected officials, and we had a good, and then some community leaders as well, uh, good conversation about crime. Some of those conversations need to be with key stakeholders, and then some need, you know, eventually we need to go public. But opening those dialogues, uh, whether it's law enforcement or other things, is critical. And we, I need to get my bearings in some of this subject matter before I step into the public arena and really open it up. But that's where we're going. We, we've got to have that feedback. It's a two-way street. And when the public understands, what we're doing and why we're doing it. They become, you know, some, even in tough situations, they become supportive. You'd mentioned the crime aspect. I, I want to talk about that. We've come off of a pretty rough year in the city of Lafayette. I mean, how do you address that as a new mayor yeah. coming in? So working closely with Sheriff Garber, with, um, with Chief um, Esteridge, and all of the other stakeholders, um, we are going to go deep in that. From what I understand so far, a lot of it's drug-related, but we have some issues. You know, we've got domestic abuse issues, we've got drug issues that, you know, are there. And, and what's what we're seeing are those murder numbers. And, and I'll also actually look at the shootings, because the difference between a shooting and a murder is a bad shot. Um, it's, it's a conflict re re resolution issue uh, for a lot, of, uh, a lot of young people. It's, it's, it's complex, but give me a minute to pull the critical stakeholders together by a minute, you know, a little bit of time 
because we are going, we are opening those conversations, and it's a new conversation that wasn't happening in in a lot of spaces with the mayor's office. And so I'm stepping into those conversations, but we have really good professionals in place. We do have a strong police department. We have a, a tremendous sheriff's department. We have a tremendous marshal. We have, I mean, we have the pieces we need. And I just think leveraging them together and taking the best of what they have and then the areas we need improvement on, it's the same thing that I want to do across the board with everything else, and then making those improvements. But we already really do have strong legs. We, you know. Well, I'm going to change directions a little bit um, and ask you, you know, about a few other more specific things. I guess, you know, to lead with, housing costs and, and job opportunities are some key factors in the state's problem with brain drain, and, and Lafayette is no exception. So I guess, what are you doing to address the need for more affordable housing and right. better job opportunities locally? So. Economic development and housing uh, in the first three and a half weeks, we haven't started. <laughs> but I do think looking at density in the city, I think for a lot of reasons, uh, but also population stabilization is one of the things we need to do. Um, part of the, my revitalization uh, thought process is, you know, really creating that, that dynamic livable, workable space in the city of Lafayette. So in my role as mayor, I want extra focus around those quality of life issues. Um, I think, you know, what are we doing towards that? We need to look at our regulations, um, not our codes. You want the building codes for safety purposes, but how are our planning regulations impacting density and where is it appropriate to increase more? Uh, to, to change it, to adapt it to the needs today while preserving our neighborhood. So Lafayette has, has been like a hotbed of cultural and political turmoil recently, and I think the library board is, is a well-known example. You know, you said in the past that civility is a big part of solving that. Mm -hmm. I mean, what role does the mayor president play in making that happen? So I don't have a formal role in the library board. Um, but we are starting conversations about what it is to serve on a board, all of our boards. Mm -hmm. uh, legal is looking at that, Pat Ottinger is looking at doing some uh, particular trainings, I guess, for, for what it is on the board. So my role, particularly in the library board, is not formal, but from an informal perspective, I guess, it is elevating the functions and roles of those boards so that we can step into those complex issues and not demoralize people or even organizations or, you know, we can do that. We can have complex conversations and not have all of the drama that's out there. I mean, I don't know what else to call it. It feels just like drama to this community. People all over this community are asking for it to, to tamp down and for it not to be so volatile. It's something I'm going to just have to walk through, but it is something It is something that's defining this community at a, at a higher level. It is something I heard about in D.C. Um, it's a buzz, and it's not healthy. It's not a healthy buzz. And so working from whatever perspective we can, we will be. Let me put it that way. Mayor, President Boulay, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for talking.
From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Alana Schreiber. Thanks to our guests, competitive runner and word crafter Keir Sellert, and Lafayette Mayor President Monique Blanco-Boulay. Our assistant producer is Aubrey Purcell, and our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at 12 and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the Greater New Orleans Foundation.